Greetings, friends. It's good to have you with us. It's January 7th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we encourage your reading of the entire Bible in a year with daily passages from the Old and New Testaments, as well as a visit to the books of Psalms and Proverbs. It is quite amazing each year as we start out on our excursion to see how much history we cover in our first week of reading. The book of Genesis quickly moves us along from creation in the first two chapters to the fall in chapter 3 and then the ensuing consequences of sin leading to death, separation from God, revealing the wickedness of the human heart from chapters 4 through 5. Then in chapter 6, we're told that God's righteousness demands that judgment be brought upon the old creation and the unrepentant descendants of Adam's race. Yet there is a divinely commissioned plan of salvation in the Ark of Noah, which prefigures the perfect work of Christ that would enable mercy to triumph over judgment to those who hear the word preached and enter into it and abide in it. After the flood, the descendants of Noah repopulate the earth and the deceitfulness of the human heart continues in its turn away from the one true God to idolatry, highlighted in the rise of Babylon, or Babel meaning the gate of the gods. It expressed its height of human pride, saying, We shall make a name for ourselves, and the height of human autonomy, we shall be as gods. However, God frustrates their plans, confuses their languages, and scatters the people, increasing their tribal divisions. By the time we get to the end of chapter 11, we really get into the narrative of God's work of redemption, in which He implements His plan to bring a people to Himself through the promised seed who would bring salvation, reverse the curse, and restore humanity to its initial calling. The promised seed of the woman, the Redeemer, would be a descendant of Abraham. It is Abraham's story that we are now following. But where is the promised seed of Abraham? Up until now in the story, Abraham has no descendants. Let's see what happens as we pick up our reading in Genesis chapter 16, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, 
Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Ber Laharoi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was eighty-six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Chapter 17 When Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. 
When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Chapter 18 And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. As we read through this account of Abram and Sarai, who have now become Abraham and Sarah, we will be reflecting on how we respond to God's promises. Do we believe God's promises? Abraham had God's promise that he would become the father of a great nation, given to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. But questions remained. When? How? There was nothing he could see in his life that indicated that this promise would become a reality. Abraham was getting older, and time was running out for him to be a father. To him it might have seemed that God's promise was a dud. But this God who revealed himself to Abraham was the one true God, and Abraham knew it. He believed it, but he also struggled with it. The New Testament records that Abraham's life was one of exemplary faith. In Romans 4.20 we read that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. 
But in the book of Genesis, we see the human frailties of Abraham. His obedience was far from perfect. The God in whom he was putting his trust would be the Savior not only of his sins, but of his weak faith. And that's true for us also. Getting impatient, Abraham leaned on his own understanding and suggested that Eleazar of Damascus, his current chief of staff, be adopted as his heir. But the Lord clarified that Abraham's promised heir would come from his own body. He did not need to engineer the fulfillment of God's promises himself. The Lord assured that his descendants would be as plentiful as the stars that could be seen in the night sky, more than he could count. Indeed, his offspring would become a great nation and inherit the promised land. In Genesis 15:6, we read, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Do we believe God? He does not give idle promises. He is Almighty God and able to bring what He's promised to pass, His way and on His schedule. The good news is that God's righteousness was credited to Abraham. The word righteousness means rightness or in the right. Abraham is declared to be right with God. How can we be in a right relationship with God? By believing His Word. We are to believe the promise. That promise is centered in the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. In the end, all will be made right to those who believe that God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. We see all of this in Christ. Faith says to the promise, I'm in. Then God says, all right. However, Abraham asked for further assurance that he would receive what God had promised. The Lord did not rebuke Abraham for his mini-waver in the faith. Instead, he confirmed his original promise with an additional covenant commitment. This covenant would be a legal contract witnessed with the sacrifice of animals, a custom that was tantamount to pronouncing upon oneself a curse of death if the promise was not kept. Serious stuff. The covenant would be unconditional and unilateral. Abraham did not have to do a thing but bring the animals, sacrifice them, and drive away the birds of prey. Then the Lord put Abraham into a deep sleep and gave him a prophetic snapshot of what would happen in the lives of his descendants for the next 400 years. He predicted the future in which his descendants would come out of their slavery in a foreign land, that is Egypt, and possess the promised land of Canaan, Israel, whose borders will eventually stretch from the great river of Egypt to the Euphrates. An important lesson in the school of faith is that God's will must be done in God's way and in God's time. The Genesis account has shown that Abraham, although credited as the father of our faith in Romans 4.16, was not Mr. Superbeliever, but a man who had his questions about God's ways and his timing and needed extra assurance. Sound familiar? Don't we also? The good news is that the Lord graciously met his need. In Genesis 16, it's Sarai's turn to waver. Abram was 85 and Sarah was unable to conceive. So Sarai resorted to a custom of her day, a bit shocking to us, to have her slave, Hagar, to have sexual relationships with Abram to produce an heir. Socially, Abram and Sarai would no longer be considered childless. Abraham agreed and Hagar conceived, but the plan did not go well. Sarai despised Hagar, Sarai treated Hagar harshly, 
and Hagar fled into the wilderness. There the Lord met Hagar and promised that her child Ishmael, a wild donkey of a man, would become the father of the Arab nations. Abram was eighty-six years old when Ishmael was born. Thirteen years later, when Abram is ninety-nine, the Lord repeats His promise of His blessed offspring for the third time. He adds the detail that kings shall come from His seed and changes His name from Abram, meaning exalted father, or father of the year, to Abraham, meaning father of many nations. There is some stigma that comes from trusting God for the not yet. It is especially embarrassing to be named father of the year when you have no children of your own. Abraham bore that shame for a long time. Now he was 99 years old, and naturally speaking, his potential for fathering a child is considered dead in Romans 4.19. Abraham probably would have welcomed a name change earlier in life, but after 99 years he was used to this embarrassment. The Lord's choice of a new name was not what this childless senior was hoping for. The Lord changed the fifth letter of Abraham's name, inserting the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The number five often represents grace in the Bible. The fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is He. It is an aspirate, a breath letter, like our letter H. It is a voiceless, glottal fricative. It puts living breath into a word. It changes the meaning of Abraham, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many nations. At this stage of life, the name could have caused double embarrassment for this childless father of our faith. Grace was breathing life into this all-but-dead promise that Abraham was carrying in his heart. Abraham, now dead in his own capacity, would be brought to life by God doing for him what he could not do for himself, freely. That is grace. God sees us and treats us in the light of his promise. He sees us and treats us in the light of Jesus Christ and his finished work. His covenant is everlasting and unchanging. The Lord gave Abraham the instruction to bear a sign of the covenant in his own flesh. The blessed seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, would come to and through Abraham and his descendants. The Lord was inviting Abraham, his descendants, his household, and those in his company to acknowledge that they are in on the promise. They are people in a covenant relationship with the living God. Although not made clear at the time, it would all be based on what God had said and what He would do through the promised seed, Jesus Christ. A sign of this everlasting covenant would be the circumcision of the reproductive organ of every male. Not only would this be an outward sign of identification with their covenant-keeping God and His people, it was an outward reminder that the blessing through which all the nations would be blessed would come through Abraham's lineage. Now it was time for Sarai's name to be changed. The fifth letter of her name would also be replaced with the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the aspirate letter, He, which is a picture of God breathing into her and thereby giving her a new name. Sarai, meaning princess, would become Sarah, which means my princess. The Lord was naming her, adopting her into His royal family as one who belongs to Him and His plan of salvation. Abraham contemplated the weakness of his body without giving up on the promise. His body was now as good as dead, and so was Sarah's. 
In chapter 18, the Lord appears to Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre as one of three mysterious men. One of the three gives the promise that when he returns at the same time in the following year, Sarah, at ninety years old, will have given birth to a child. Sarah laughs, perhaps scoffing at the idea that she should become a mother in her old age. However, God has the last laugh by doing what Sarah thought impossible. Her child would be named Isaac, meaning laughter. The Lord knows of our many, many wavers in faith. We sometimes may laugh and even scoff when first presented with the outlandish promises of God. But God is God. With Him, nothing is impossible. Let's anchor our faith fully in Him. Faithful is He who calls you, who also will bring it to pass. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Now let's read the New Testament passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and we continue with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking about giving to the needy. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then 
the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the Sermon on the Mount, we get a better understanding of the ethics of our new life in Christ. Jesus shows us the character of a citizen of heaven. How does a child of God think? How does a child of God behave? How does a child of God pray? Being a Christian does not mean that you put on an act. You are not here on the planet to give people the impression that you are super pious. Be genuine. Don't be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite means a play actor. The Greek word implies that an actor is pretending to be someone that he is not by standing behind a large mask. Audiences in the ancient theaters did not have corrective lenses, and nearsighted folks got a better grasp of characters being portrayed by the actors on the stage because they stood behind large masks with painted faces. You were created for a genuine relationship with God. He sees what is behind the mask, so don't bother to wear one. Jesus shows us that God is relational. He is made objectively knowable to us as the Father through Jesus, and made knowable to us subjectively by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus gave us a prayer outline. It's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, but it is really the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer can be found in John chapter 17. Jesus taught that prayer starts with recognition. Our Father. Through faith in Christ, we are adopted into His family. Hallowed be Thy name. This means that we recognize Him and His self-revealed characteristics. We are to know Him as He has made Himself known in the Word. Our prayer is that we would know Him more and He would be known by others. Our prayer is that we would hallow His name and that others would hallow His name. We can express our recognition of Him with praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and even awestruck silence. Secondly, in the outline of Jesus' instruction on prayer, He tells us to pray prayers of cooperation. Quote, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. End quote. Thirdly, we pray prayers of petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Our Father knows what we need, and He's ready to supply His children when they ask for what they need to be sustained in their calling. Fourthly, we pray prayers of confession. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We keep short accounts, acknowledging our own sinfulness and our responsibility to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Totally. And then finally, we pray prayers of deliverance. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Verse 24 is a good reminder that we cannot serve two masters. God will have no rivals. Humanity belongs to the Creator. We belong to God. All that we are and all that we have is truly His. When we claim exclusive ownership in our self-centered covetousness, we are denying our true Master. When we start to own something in this way, be it money, possessions, etc., it ends up owning us and becoming our Master. Who or what are we living for? Who or what are you serving? Who is your true Master? Psalm 7, verses 1-17 through 17. This psalm is called a Shigayon of David. 
which most likely is a musical or liturgical term. It's a song that he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground, and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked men come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. This psalm is an example of the kind of soul-searching that goes on in the times of suffering. And all of God's children share sufferings in union with their Savior. We have the fellowship of His sufferings, and He feels our sufferings. This psalm is a heart cry for justice while recognizing our own need for mercy. God's justice is perfect. All wrongdoing is to be recognized. There's a need for repentance and faith turning from sin, as we see in verse 12, and trusting in the one who paid for our sins, as we see in verse 17. Now reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is about the value of wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What strikes me in reading this is that it speaks of a receptive heart. And may that be our prayer, that we would be treasuring the commands of the Lord, that we would make our ear attentive that we'd incline our heart to understanding what God is saying, uh, asking God for discernment and understanding. We are also encouraged to pray, to lift our voice for understanding, and to continue to seek, continue to study. And then, as we discover who God is, we will come out knowing Him. And what a great goal that is for our lives, that we may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings to the degree that 
one day we will know him even as we are known. So let's pray. Gracious God and Father, you've given us your unfailing word, your trustworthy promise, and ratified it with a covenant with our representative, your Holy Son, Jesus. You have given us a Savior for our sins and a Savior for our feeble faith. We believe your promises. Help us in our instances of unbelief. We confess that we are not the super-believers we would like to be, and we are so grateful for the examples of your merciful treatment of those who falter from time to time as they walk the path you have set before them. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who has brought us to life, sealed us according to your promise, adopted us into your family, and leads us into all truth. We thank you for your word and the discernment, the knowledge, and the reverence that it brings to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today in our Bible reading tour. We welcome your comments and questions as we engage with God's word together. Let us know how you're getting on by shooting us an email at podcast at newlife.org. Many tell us that they benefit from getting a free daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible readings with the provided illustrations, maps, and charts. You can subscribe to this free service at our website, newlife.org. Also, we want to encourage you to find others to join with you in this goal of reading the scriptures through in a year. By subscribing or following this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, you can be notified of each day's posting. You can stay with us or proceed at your own pace, catching up by listening to past episodes. So until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Shalom.